It's been good already, has it not? I, I like what Brother Mahler said. I, I just love this church. Uh, you say, well, you have to. Well, I know, but um, I loved it before I was ever up here. And um, All right, we'll be in John chapter 12 this morning as we continue our series through the gospel according to John on Sunday mornings. John chapter 12. We'll begin by reading verses 31 through 36. In John chapter 12, beginning in verse 31, it says, Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. The people answered him, We have heard out of the law that Christ abideth forever. And how sayest thou, The Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. While you have light, believe in the light, that ye may be the children of light. These things spake Jesus and departed and did hide himself from them. For those who were here last week, you'll recall we covered verses 29 through the first part of verse 31, and I'm not going to take the time to recap all of that for sake of time, but just remember there that many will just simply dismiss the voice of God in their life as something else. God's voice came from heaven, and some said it thundered, some said it was an angel, and sometimes we find excuses on why God may not be speaking to us, right? And so that was kind of last week, but we got into the first part of verse 31, Now is the judgment of this world. And the context here that Jesus is speaking is that of his death. His death is less than a week away, and he's he's informing them of this. And and so Jesus is letting them know that his death is going to be the judgment of the world. Remember that this Greek word for judgment is krisis, where we get our word crisis. And the application was that Christ's death is the crisis point of the world. Remember, we use the word crisis today way different, um, mostly way different than they used to. And crisis used to be a medical term where if somebody took a turn for the better or for the worse, that was their crisis point. Whenever they turned, whichever way, that was their crisis point medically speaking. And the application was that uh, Jesus on the cross will determine, our decision there will determine whether or not we get better or whether or not we get worse. We have a decision to make when it comes to the death of Christ. It is our crisis point. We either turn to life in Christ or we turn to death by rejecting Him. Only Jesus can make us whole through His precious blood. And, and here's the deal. You don't have to be sin sick any longer. We were all born in sin. We all have the disease of sin that we inherited. And we don't have to stay that way. We can be forgiven of our sins as we make that decision upon who Christ is. 
The second way the word crisis was once widely used was as a, a legal term, meaning a decision. And that's how Strong's will define that. And that still fits the idea um, how it was used medically, because medically, remember, it's a turning point for the better or for worse. And if you're before a, a jury or a judge and the decision is about to come down, that decision is your turning point. Whether or not you go free or you get locked up. And so it, it's a decision point. Jesus' death is a crisis point legally because your decision about Christ will decide your fate for all eternity. It's the decision point by which the world is judged. And you have to make a judgment about who Christ is. Was he God in the flesh who died to reconcile sinners unto himself? Or was he just a man? And on judgment day, when we stand before our judge, Jesus Christ, he's going to issue a decision based upon your decision of him. Whether or not you've cried out to God for salvation by faith in Christ alone. And that's the judgment of the world. Have you made your decision this morning? Because it's not too late. Amen. It's not too late. You're where you need to be. Have you made your decision? What's your judgment going to be? Now that was all from last week, but there's more to verse 31. There's even more to this judgment of the world. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. The one who's called the prince of this world is the devil. And there would also be a crisis point between Christ and Satan. Who is going to walk away with all power? We know the answer. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. And though we know the answer, and though it was known from the beginning of the world, we know the scriptures had foretold of this hour to come, the judgment still had to take place on crucifixion day. And all the way back in Genesis, there in the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, God told Satan in chapter 3 and verse 15, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And that was the first prophecy in Scripture of the coming Messiah, that Christ would arrive one day. And it would be some 4,000 years later from that promise that the promised seed of God did in fact arrive. And while Satan did bruise his heel, Christ was victorious. Satan thought if he could just kill Jesus, then somehow he would be victorious. This is why he moved in the heart of Herod the Great, that after Jesus was born, all the babies two years old and under in Bethlehem and in all the coast thereof were killed. He wanted to kill Jesus. This is why when Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness, he said to Jesus, Cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou shalt dash thy foot against a stone. This is why Satan stirred up the hearts of the Pharisees and the members of the council to plot the murder of Christ. This is why several times they took up stones to stone him. 
Satan had said in his mind that if he could destroy Christ, then he would be the victor. I love Psalm 2. It says in verses 1 through 3, Why do the heathen rage? And the people imagine a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. But the next verse there in Psalm 2 says, He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. It was Satan's goal from creation to exalt himself above God. He said, I will ascend into the heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. And that was Satan's goal in trying to put Christ to death before his hour. And with that in mind, no doubt... Satan thought the hour of his victory was nearing as Christ was being scourged. And as they began to rip Christ's beard from him, plucking the hairs from his face, and as they began to mock him as a king, and as they pressed a crown of thorns upon his head, and as they then took a reed and hit him on the head, and they beat him, No doubt Satan thought, my hour's coming. And certainly when they nailed him to the cross, Satan would have thought his hour had finally arrived when he would be be victorious over God and his Christ. And in some respects, that's still Satan's goal today. He has some serious issues at taking God at his word. Before the millennial reign of Christ, Satan will be bound for a thousand years. But at the end of that time, the Bible says God will loose him out of his prison. And Satan will go out once again to deceive the nations. I mean, he's just not figuring it out. But after the devil will be cast into the lake of fire, after that he'll be cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Amen and amen. But back to our thought here, as Jesus is hanging on the cross, Satan can sense that victory over God is near. And then when Jesus gave up the ghost, Satan thought, I have finally overcome the light. And just to be safe, when they took Jesus down from the cross and they put him in the tomb, Satan put it in the hearts of the Romans and and even the Pharisees that there needed to be a seal put on the stone. And they needed to put four guards there to keep watch to make sure nobody came and got the body. I mean, Satan's going to make sure of this thing. But they didn't understand that the judgment of the world had already taken place. And Satan may have thought he had gotten the better of Christ. But God had chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And it would seem foolish that a Messiah would die on a cross. And it would seem weak that a king would die on a cross. But God was confounding the might and the wisdom of the world. And then on day three, something was happening. 
to quote the song, death screamed, I've lost my hold. Angels rise in anticipation for the sun is coming home. And there he comes. And he's got the blood that he shed on Calvary. And the father said, well done, my son. This is the last blood I'll ever need. It was the judgment of this world. It was Satan. It wasn't Satan who was victorious, but it was Christ who rose from the grave victorious over death, the devil, and hell. I love S.M. Lockridge's message where he goes on a six-minute preaching storm describing who Jesus is. I played three and a half minutes of it here before because I just love it so much, and I'd ask you to look it up on YouTube um, because you have to hear his voice as he preaches it. If you'll just look up, that's my king. Don't do it now. But I want to quote just a small portion of that. The Pharisees couldn't stand them, but they found out they couldn't stop them. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. The witnesses couldn't get their testimony to agree. Herod couldn't kill them. Death couldn't handle them. And the grave couldn't hold them. That's my king. He always has been, and he always will be. I'm talking about he had no predecessor, and he'll have no successor. There was nobody before him. There'll be nobody after him. You can't impeach him, and he's not going to resign. That's my king. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. The glory is all his. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever. And when you get through with all the forevers, then amen. The decision has been made. Christ is the victor. The judgment over who will reign supreme has been decided. The judgment over who is all-powerful has been decided. Jesus said, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Back to Psalm 2 and verse 6, God says, Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. It is Jesus who is at the right hand of the Father, not Satan. It is at the name of Jesus that every knee should bow and confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of Father, not Satan's. The government is upon Jesus' shoulders. Jesus' name shall be Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, not Satan. And at the end of all things, it will be Christ who is the one casting Satan into the lake of fire, not the other way around. And just so you know, it was never going to be a contest to begin with. (laughs) In case you're thinking I've thought that through. Jesus wasn't taken in murder. He willingly laid down his life. It is Jesus who cried out on the cross. It is finished, not Satan. 1 Timothy 1.17 says, Now unto the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So this verse says, Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. As a result of Christ being victorious, the prince of this world would be cast out. Now, what does that mean? Just to be transparent with you, I had a difficult time with this because we know Satan is still our adversary. He's still the accuser of the brethren. He's still blinding the minds of those that are lost. He still tries to catch the word out of hearts lest they should believe and be saved. (laughs) 
He still walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So what does this mean, now shall the prince of this world be cast out? Well, it's definitely connect with what I just preached, and that is the judgment of the world and Satan being defeated. There are some who debate whether or not Satan's head was crushed when Jesus was on the cross or if that will actually be when Jesus casts him into the lake of fire. I have my opinions. But one thing is for sure, Satan is a defeated foe. His fate is sealed. And when Satan comes along and tries to remind you of your past, you remind him of his future. So what does it mean that Satan has been cast out? Well, first of all, it's a different view of the same event. And that's how the verse reads. Now is judgment. Now is Satan or the devil cast out. Now, those who are much smarter than me, (laughs) which is a lot of people, those who are much smarter than me have said that that phrase, shall be cast out, means that it is future passive. Well, all that means to this hillbilly is I'm going to be lazy tomorrow. I I don't really know what future passive is. (laughs) Well, I looked it up. Because I was trying to understand and it, it, it said this. It is something that is certain to happen in the future. Well, that kind of makes sense to me because we've already mentioned Satan will be cast out into the lake of fire. That certainly fits, fits being cast out in the future. And it is certain that will happen. But because all of this is connected to Christ's death, it seems like there ought to be an answer connected with Christ's death not something down the road. So I want to give you my opinion as of today. (laughs) I can't say I'm totally satisfied where I'm at, though. But I also know what I'm about to say is biblically true, regardless if it fits the context. When the judgment of the world came, the prince of this world would be cast out. Then in verse 32, Jesus says, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. And there's a contrast here. Between the two. If I understand uh, correctly here, we, we see this contrast of Satan being cast out and then Jesus drawing in. Do you see that? When Christ arrived on the earth, the world sat in darkness. Israel had corrupted the law of God through their oral traditions, the Gentiles were in darkness. And that's not to say there wasn't any faith upon the earth. There's always been a remnant. But that that is to say this, that the world was not in light. In Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 through 3, it says, Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light and kings to the brightness of thy rising. And it was prophesied throughout Isaiah that there's coming a light in this dark world. And when Jesus began his public ministry, we read of the fulfillment of another of Isaiah's prophecies in Matthew chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, where it says, The land of Zebulon and the land of of Nephilim, by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Listen to this. The people which sat in darkness 
saw great light. And to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. And I'm trying to say that before the judgment of the world by Christ on the cross, the world was in darkness. The world was in captivity to Satan. We find in the gospels parents literally dragging their possessed children to Christ. Don't we? We, we find those who are diseased. We find the maniac of Gadara who could not be held by human chains. And nobody wanted to pass that way because he was so possessed by demons. There were men that couldn't be tamed. In towns where our Lord entered, they brought in those who were possessed for Jesus to heal. And Jesus would but speak and the demons would flee. Because Satan was being cast out of the world. This may be the reason why we read so much of demon possession in the Gospels. But after the book of Acts, it's rarely mentioned. Now, none of that is to imply that there was a time when Satan had all power over the earth. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. But God allowed the world to remain in overwhelming darkness. And it isn't to imply that there isn't demon possession today... Because there is. But when Jesus would be lifted up, the Bible says he would draw all mankind unto himself. And in order for that to happen in the volume in which the Old Testament prophesied, Satan would have to be cast out. Is everybody following my thinking here? And as we already stated, Satan is still around. So I believe what we might can learn from this verse is that the soul who will seek after Christ cannot be bound by the power of Satan. No doubt in a gathering this large this morning, there is someone here who is lost and without Christ. And when Jesus died on the cross and he got victory over all things, Satan was cast out and he cannot hold you any longer if you seek for Jesus. Satan can no longer have power to keep the soul imprisoned in darkness. Isaiah 49, 25 says, Thus saith the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken away, and the prey of the terrible shall be delivered. For I will contend with him that contended with thee, and I will save thy children. Now, that isn't to say that Satan's going to voluntarily just let people go. He won't do so freely, but he cannot hold on to any who will genuinely come to Christ. And I may not fully understand what all this means, but I know this. Satan has no power except that which God gives him and or what you and I give him, as we saw this past Wednesday night. We'll see in the next chapter that Satan enters Judas Iscariot and then Jesus looks at him and says, what thou doest, do quickly. We see in the book of Job that Satan could not do any more to Job than God would allow. So distinctively has Satan been cast out that I want you to see what is said of him in Isaiah 14, verses 15 through 17. You don't have to turn there, but listen. Yet... Thou shalt be brought down to hell, to the sides of the pit. Now listen. 
They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble, that did shake kingdoms, that made the world as a wilderness and destroyed the cities thereof, that opened not the house of his prisoners? And and there's coming a day when we're going to look at Satan and say, Is this the one that we were so afraid of? Is this the one that made us to tremble? And, and narrowly look upon him. And, and here's the thing. We give Satan way too much credit today. Is this the one that we ascribe so much power to? Is this the one that we were so fearful of that we would cower in fear? This is the one? It's like looking at Levi. Is this the one? I love you, buddy. Is this the one we thought had full control over another and therefore we would never witness to them? Is this the one that made us say, what's the reason in reaching out to others? Satan can't hold the soul who comes to Christ. But how shall they hear unless we tell them? God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We just need to be doing our part and quit being so scared of a defeated enemy. Before you came to Christ, you may not have been demon-possessed. You may not have messed around with the occult. But you were in the darkness of Satan. Then somehow, in some way, the gospel was given to you. And the light of the glorious gospel began to shine in your heart and in your life. And as you began to understand what all that meant, one day as Christ was drawing you by the Holy Spirit, you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. And hallelujah, there was nothing that Satan could do to stop it. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15 say, And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Do you remember that day? Do you remember when God called you out of darkness into his marvelous light? Do you remember that? This is the question. We have a job to do. And and, and here's the thing. Do you remember that day? Because if you don't, you're still in the darkness of Satan and you're still lost in your sins. Do you remember how wonderful it was to know your sins had been washed away? Do you remember what it was like when Satan was cast out of your life? John 6, 37 says, All the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Once you're in Christ, you're in. But here's the thing. Why wouldn't you want others to experience that too? Satan would be cast out when you gave your heart to Christ. 
And I want to tell you this this morning. Don't let the prince of this world intimidate you. We can see revival in this day. We can see sinners walk the aisle and get saved. We can see family members repent. We can see friends trust Christ. We can see co-workers repent. Satan's been cast out. And greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We are more than conquerors in Christ. We can make an eternal difference in Rapid City because our God is all-powerful and there's nothing too hard for God. Romans 16.20 says, And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. I want you to go out of here determined that you're not going to give up. That you will keep praying for the lost. That you'll keep praying for that loved one. That you'll keep witnessing, testifying to them. That you will not let the enemy intimidate you to be quiet. I would ask you right now, is there one soul that comes to mind that you know needs to be saved in your life? Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a family member. You may be the only one in their life that has God's message of salvation to bring to them. And I would ask you this morning, won't you pray for them? But then won't you go out of here and tell them today that Jesus died for them? We need to let the world know that Christ is victorious over Satan. Let them know that Christ already paid their sin debt in full. And all they need to do is just call out to Christ by faith, believing in Him alone for salvation. And then God will settle that account. Let those around us know about the Savior who's been lifted up from the earth so that we all might be saved. Let's pray. God, I ask you this morning to please work in the hearts of your people. And Lord, no doubt, based off what I've seen this morning, there are some here that are not right with you that certainly need to either get saved or get right. God, I pray you'd just move now. Do what only you can do for Christ's sake. Amen. Let's stand together with heads bowed and eyes closed.